Good evening, everyone. And thank you for the very kind invitation to be here and to share um, what the Lord indeed has done in my heart and in my life with you this evening. Thank you for um, having me along. You might hear me sniffling and, and going on, don't worry, it's not the dreaded COVID. Uh, I suffer from hay fever, so if you wonder why I'm sniffling up, I can rest assure you, you're safe enough. <laughs> so let's just still our hearts and pray before we share this evening. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you for those of us who know you as Lord and as Saviour for what you've done in our hearts and in our lives. We come this evening, Father, acknowledging, Lord, that we need you and we need your help, Lord, hearer and speaker alike. So, Lord, as I open my lips now, I pray that you will fill them. And, Lord, that you will encourage us through this testimony this evening. Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, we look to you, and Lord, that all praise and glory and honor will be given to thy name, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, just to start with, I think no better place to start is to share a couple of verses of scripture with you to start with. And the first verse I want to share with you is in John's Gospel, and it's in John chapter uh, 14 and verses 5 and 6. So John's Gospel chapter 14 and verses 5 and 6 and I'm sure it's a well-known text. I'm sure you know it off by heart. Uh, Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest and how can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then the second scripture, you don't have to turn to it, or you can if you like, is in Second Timothy 4 and 6. Second Timothy 4 and 6, and it says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Well, to share a little bit about myself, you already know my name's Thomas, Thomas MacDonald. And I'm sure you are all familiar with the place called Bush Mills. Yes, you probably have been to Bush Mills, going to the north coast many a time. That's where I was brought up at, brought up just outside Bush Mills in the countryside. Brought up uh, just in a little village called Bally Rock uh, there. And uh, whenever I was brought up, I was brought up... <coughs> In the countryside, I was loving the um, tractors and loving the country life. And as a young child, he used to love toy tractors. And um, my granddad used to drive a tractor. He used to work as a gamekeeper. And uh, my, I used to spend a lot of time with my granddad. Um, he used to enjoy going out in the tractor, going around bush mills. And, and I think sometimes he did it just to annoy drivers, just to keep them from getting somewhere. He used to go very slow. But we still love it, going out and about in the tractor. And he still love the countryside, love the sadage, love the stuff that the farmer's done. And he still love uh, that environment. And life is going well as a child until five years of age, when, unfortunately, my granddad passed away. 
Um, whenever he passed away, my father, my father and my granddad were quite close, but my father couldn't cope very well whenever my granddad passed away, and he turned to the dreaded alcohol. I would start off maybe just drinking at the weekends or maybe an odd drink here and there during the week, and that was fine. But over the period of a year, I could see, looking back now, how the drink got a grip of my father and of my mother as well. She sadly started drinking too. And over a period of about a year, it went from drinking maybe the odd evening or drinking at the weekends until they couldn't live without the drink. When they were getting out of bed in the morning, they were reaching for the bottle. Or whenever they were out and about, they had to be go to somewhere where it sold alcohol. They constantly had to have a drink in their hand. Unfortunately, they turned uh, alcoholics. So from about the age of six, unfortunately, that was a bit of a downward spiral in, in, in life for myself. And I was still living at home with my parents. My older brother and sister had left home at this stage. And I was at home and... I was subject to physical abuse and sexual abuse and uh, different uh, abuse um, uh, from my parents um, from about the age of seven onwards because of the alcohol that they were taking. They found it quite fun to have their little boy sitting drinking along with them or sitting smoking along with them. They thought that this was a great thing. They, They laughed at it. They used to take um, some photographs of it. Um, they used to, you know, whenever we went to a pub, used to set me in a corner in the pub, but they used to make, make sure that I had a drink sitting there with me as well. And that was the life I was brought up in, going round pubs, going round off licenses, um, being at home, getting drunk with, with my parents at such a young age. And um, at school as well, we would have done swimming and different things. I got a school or PE. And I started to withdraw a little bit from school, started to withdraw a little bit from doing exercise and going swimming and so on because I didn't want people to see marks on my body. So that was the childhood I was brought up in. This continued for many years and later years and got into my teen years, I used to think it was just the norm. My parents taught me this was the norm and this is what I was to, to do, and other children were doing the same, and uh, I didn't know any different. I wasn't brought up in a church background. Um, I wasn't, you know, taught anything about the scriptures. I wasn't took to church, took to Sunday school. So I knew nothing of the gospel, knew nothing of church, knew nothing of the Lord. However, a neighbor of mine, his son, uh, was pastoring a little church in Bush Mills, and they were doing a, a mission, a gospel mission, and they invited me along one Sunday evening. And again, for about two or three weeks, I put it off. I was like, what I want to go to church for, you know, I have no need to go to church. And he kept telling me that he's praying for me, you know, and praying that I will come out to church one evening. And I says, I have no interest in going to church. It's not something that, you know, that I do or my family do. Every one Sunday evening, just prior to him going to church, you know, the church service started at half six prior to him going, 
I quickly changed my clothes and said, you know what, I'm going to go to church this evening. And I don't know why, he just, well, I know why now, it was the Lord. But I just got ready quickly and I ran out the, the gate and up the road to the neighbor's house and opened up the car door and he was reversing out. He says, what are you doing? I says, I'm coming with you this evening to church. So anyway, I jumped in beside him and away we went to church. And that was a turning point that night in my life. That night, the first scripture I read you there was Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This was the scripture that was been preached on that evening. And not only was it been preached on, the words was also written on the wall behind the preacher. So as every time the preacher was preaching on this text, it was as if the wall was jumping at me. And I was just came under real conviction in the meeting that evening. I went home that evening and my parents were sitting doing the usual thing, drinking, smoking, rowing, fighting, whatever they would do whenever they had drink in them. And they wanted me to sit down and have a drink with them too. And I says, no, I'm going to, going to my room. I went to my room that evening and I just lay on my, on my bed and I just couldn't settle. I was restless and I kept twisting and turning and restless. And there was a voice kept saying to me, I've got so much more for you than this. I've got so much more for you than this. It wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't, you know, didn't break through the sky. It was just a voice speaking to me personally, saying, I've got so much more for you than this. And I said, I didn't know how to pray. I never was brought up in a church background. I, I didn't know what to do. But having listened in the meeting that night, I decided to get out of bed and I knelt at the side of my bed. I just prayed, Lord, if this is you speaking to me, if you do have more for me than this, then I turn away from the life I'm living. I, I asked you to come into my heart. The preacher said in the meeting to ask the Lord into your heart and to repent of your sins. I, I'm doing that now, Lord. And I want you to come into my heart and I do repent of my sins and I do want a better life than this. That night I prayed that prayer it was on the last Sunday in July in 2003. That night I got gloriously saved and the Lord done a wonderful work in my life. The next day, I never told anyone until this point. And I still didn't feel I had the strength to sit down actually face to face and tell someone what was going on in the family home. But what I did is I, I sat down and wrote out a massive letter to my youth worker in school. And I put all the details as best I could, details I won't go into, on that particular letter that I handed to the youth worker. And that day I was taken into care under social services at the age of 13. They took me to live in a little place in uh, Portrush, supported so born and lodgings in Portrush. And I started going to a little Baptist church there. And um, I loved it there. And the folks were lovely and started teaching me the Bible. Started to get to know the Bible better. Started to know God's word better. And uh, started going on with education and used to play rugby. I used to go back into playing rugby. Um, played rugby for quite a while. Uh, 16, I couldn't wait to get into work. So I started my first job at, at 16 
Uh, I also wanted my own independence. I was a lot older than, than what, it, what it should have been. At that. <laughs> I, I wanted to move into my own flat, and I said, there's a flat I'm going to uh, get the deposit saved up, and under social services, they helped me to get the deposit for this flat, and um, I moved into it. And, and life was going well, going really great. I was loving life. And, you know, I prayed for my parents. I prayed, you know, Lord, what you've done in my life, you know, you can do in their life. You can save them. You know, you've redeemed me. You can also redeem them. And I still pray for them to this day. They still are not saved. They still haven't given their life to, to the Lord. I've not had contact with my parents now coming up to 20 years but I have sent them um, birthday cards, Christmas cards. I've actually wrote out my testimony, sent it to them. I think most importantly, the Lord challenged me one time was to let them know that I'd forgiven them. And I had put, wrote, wrote down on a letter that what they had done, I'd forgiven them. And also that God wants to forgive them and that God wants to save them. And I put that in a letter to them, um, gave my address, gave my mobile number, uh, everything else, and they haven't, as of yet, ever made any attempt to contact me. But we keep praying for them, that the Lord will indeed work in their hearts. Again, I thought that they passed the life of a young child, and all that happened, that was it, it was all over. I thought, great, you know, I'll move on with my life now, and you know, that's in the past, let's look to the future and, uh, and, and do what we can with the future. Uh, for the Lord, and um, one day at age 21, I just finished playing rugby, and rugby game had just finished, we're heading into the, the jet dressing room, and down I went, collapsed on the rugby pitch, and I spent uh, just over a month in hospital with a heart defect, I had to have um, a little chip put into my heart, that stopped the, unfortunately stopped the career of playing rugby and um, it was also during that time in hospital uh, they discovered problems with my lungs hadn't fully developed properly as well uh, and problems just from what had been inflicted upon me as a child unfortunately at age 21 came back uh, to me to say look what happened as a child this is what has happened now to your body as a result of this but that time in hospital for those, just over those four weeks was the time that the Lord spoke to me about going into ministry. And the words that he gave to me through three different people in hospital, the nurse, uh, a visiting uh, minister in the hospital, and through my own minister, was to do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And I prayed in hospital and I said, Lord, look, if you're calling me into this work, then, you know, you, you set the, the wheels in motion. I, I, I'll go and I'll follow you if this is where you're leading me to. If this is what you want me to do with my life for you, Lord, then here, here am I. Lord, you, use me. I got out of hospital. Things quickly changed, though, because I like the busyness of life. And, and I sort of had forgotten about the Lord's calling whenever I was in the hospital Went back into full-time work, um, kept up busyness as I could within the church, doing this, that, and the other. And it was one night in a police convention meeting in, in Portrush, the preacher said, there's maybe someone in the meeting tonight who 
the Lord has called you into his service. The Lord has asked you to do something for him, but you're not doing it. You haven't fully surrendered to him. And the Lord convicted me, sitting at the back of the meeting, that that was me, that he had spoken to me clearly in hospital about doing the work of an evangelist, and I hadn't done it. So the minister said, we're going to sing all to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all. And tonight, if this is you in the meeting, you you surrender your heart and your will to the Lord's will, and you do what the Lord wants you to do. And we, we sang the hymn, and at the end, everybody was, he told everyone to keep their seats. And we sang the last verse of the hymn. I, can, I had to stand up. I knew the Lord was speaking to me that night that I hadn't fully surrendered to his will. I spoke to the minister who was taking the convention that night. I spoke to my own minister as well. And of that, that's when active evangelism was born. And what I did was just started going round doors and still do to this day, go around knocking people's doors of gospel tracts, speaking to people on their doorsteps about the Lord, uh, people who'll never come to church, but getting that opportunity to witness to them on their doorstep is amazing. And uh, it's amazing some of the stuff that you come across knocking doors as well. And some beliefs that's out there. I've had people who worship the sun. I've had people who worship all types of gods. I have people who don't worship at all, just uh, who don't believe at all. So when you're out on the doors, you come across a vast variety of people. And you have to be ready on the doors for what questions are going to throw at you. Because you never know when you knock that door who's standing at the other side of it and what they're going to ask you. And... Um, it's great work and I enjoy doing it. And I suppose I, I sort of have went a wee bit too forward there with myself. I'm still doing that in Calvin at the moment, but I'll reverse a little bit. And uh, I now have a wife and she's English. We'll forgive her for that. Um, she's uh, originally from Chester. and We got married six years ago, coming in July. And I have a little child as well. He's free past, a little Jacob. And um, he certainly keeps me busy at home as well. And uh, he is a, a great, great little fella. Um, just after we got married in England, we were in secular work. Went back over to secular work over there. And I was in secular work for about three years over there. Whenever Alison's mum passed away. And it only was Alison. Alison was the only child. And her dad had already passed away a few years previous. And Alison, just out of the blue, one night said to me, Tom, you know, I think we should pray about going back into ministry because there's nothing really stopping us now. She was there to look after her mum, and her mum had, had now passed on. And she says, let's pray, let's seek the Lord about going back into ministry. And we did do that, and we prayed and we sought the Lord, and that's when we heard about the position in Cavan uh, had came up, and we went over and met with the folks in Cavan, and um, we, we uh, chatted to them. We went away for about two months praying about it, seeking the Lord. And one of the things was we said, Lord, we'll, we'll only do this really if, you know, we can't really live in the south. We don't really want to live in Cavan because Alison has a stomach condition where she has to 
get iron every month. And to do that in the South, you have to pay for your, your treatment, really large amounts of money. It would have cost nearly €2,000 a month just for Alison to have this treatment uh, in the South. And he said, Lord, if this is your will, if this is where you want us to be, if you want us to be here uh, doing the doors in Cavan, uh, preaching the gospel in Cavan, then you'll provide a house in the north for us to live in. And sure enough, the next day after we had prayed that, the phone rang, and it was the minister offering the position. He said, there's a house that just became available right on the border Literally in Northern Ireland, but if you got your front door, you're in the north. You got your back door, you're in the south. But it's literally right on the border, but still in Northern Ireland. You couldn't get any closer to the border. I said I should start up smuggling over the border. It would be great. But um, that was God's answer to prayer. Um, we moved across in November past, and we've been getting involved with the ministry there. And... Uh, We've been doing doors and doing various different outreaches there in, in Cavan. And I do value your prayer for that because it is amongst mostly probably 98% Roman Catholic people um, who don't have a concept or understanding really of the gospel. And then another issue as well is um, the group that I'm working with, they would sometimes restrict you a little bit in preaching the gospel also. And, uh, and they sort of met their match whenever I've came across because they've said to me, you know, um, maybe don't preach the gospel tonight. And I was like, well, surely if I don't preach the gospel, then I'm not doing God's work right, am I? You know, so um, they've kind of met their match with me. But do pray for me. Uh, do pray for us in that situation. It is quite a difficult one, been told, not to share the gospel or not to preach the gospel. But the Lord has been good, and, and I do want to give him the glory and the praise tonight for what he's done uh, in my heart and in my life, and indeed all praise and glory to him. I'm only standing here tonight a sinner saved by God's grace, and if it wasn't for the Lord intervening in my life, I probably wouldn't be here today. I probably wouldn't be living today. But the Lord indeed intervened, and he indeed saved. And what he done for me he indeed is willing to do for others as well. Just a little thought then in, in closing, just from the scripture that I read from Second Timothy 4 and 6, where it says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And as we just close briefly, let's look at this scripture. We can see as we uh, look at this scripture that Paul is in prison. He's waiting his last trial. He knows that he will probably lose and, and he'll be executed for preaching the good news, for preaching the gospel of salvation. But he said he's ready, ready for death. And he encourages Timothy to continue the work in the coming years. No, no matter what would happen to Paul, he could say with confidence, for I am now ready, for I am now ready. Isn't it good tonight, folks, to be able to say that I am now ready, that I am now ready. It's great to have a testimony tonight to know the salvation that's been given by the Lord. But what about you tonight, friends? Can you say 
that you're ready. If you was to die before this meeting was to end, or if the Lord was to return through those skies before midnight tonight, would you be ready? Are you ready to die? Are you ready to meet the Lord? If you're here in this meeting tonight and you've never had that second birth experience, you've never asked the Lord into your heart to save you, you've never turned away or repented from those sins, then tonight, sadly, I can say that you're not ready to meet the Lord. But it's not too late. Time is still yet just about on your side. As we see every day when we just look at the news, we see the Bible being fulfilled daily. We see the stage already has been set and the finishing touches are being put in place for the Lord's return. But there's time yet. There's time yet for you to come, for you to get ready, for you to get saved, for you to repent of your sins and ask the Lord to save you. Our friends, if you just look with me for a few moments at the cross at Calvary, and there you'll see the Lord is bleeding and suffering and dying for us in our place so that we could go absolutely scoff-free by the finished work on the cross. Because of all that was accomplished on the cross, you and I today can be ready. We can be saved by giving our hearts and lives to the Lord. Our friends, you can make tonight the night of the start of your journey. You heard about my journey tonight, how I came to know the Lord. You can make tonight this very meeting the night that you come to know the Lord, the start of your testimony, the start of your journey and your walk with the Lord. You can say before you leave this meeting tonight, I am now ready. I am now ready. I know that if I was to die before midnight tonight, I'd be ready to die and meet the Lord. If the Lord was to return, I know where I'm going. I am now ready. Friends, may I urge you, if you're not ready, if you're not saved, I don't know you tonight in this meeting, but wherever you stand up with the Lord, you'll know. You'll know if you're ready or not. And if you're not ready tonight, may I urge you to get ready. Because time is so short. It is so, so short. I plead with you tonight that you would get ready. You know, I can't save you. The minister here can't save you. Your friends can't save you. A church can't save you. A system can't save you. It's only the Lord that can save you tonight. And you don't need to clean up your act before you come to the Lord. You don't need to be specifically dressed in a shirt and tie to come to the Lord. You know, you just come to him as you are tonight. Just come to him and give him your heart and your life. I closed with the words of the old hymn writer that say, Just as I am, without one plea, 
but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about, many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within and fears without, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of mind. Yes, all I, all I need and need to find. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, I wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because I promise, I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. I come, just as I am, my love unknown has broken every barrier down, now to be lying, yet lying alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just where you are tonight, friends, you can come, just as you are.